I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. I am absolutely thrilled for you to hear this next episode with Ibrahim Basir, who is the founder and CEO of A Dozen Cousins, which is a natural food brand has a few different things that they do in beans, rice, and sauces inspired by the traditional Creole, Caribbean, and Latin American dishes that Ibrahim grew up with. And the company started in 2019. It is absolutely a super, super yummy, 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 yummy product. You will love this conversation. Ibrahim actually came from General Mills before he decided to start A Dozen Cousins. And I am just absolutely thrilled to have you learn a lot more about his journey and lessons along the way. So let's get going. So welcome, Ibrahim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Super excited for you to be here. And I'd love to start at the beginning. So I'd love to get more of a picture of who was Ibrahim as a child. So were you the creative one? Were you the troublemaker? Were you, you know, the one who was always cooking? Uh, who was Ibrahim as a, as a young guy? Yeah, you know, I'll say just like personality wise, a few a few traits that probably stood out most when I was a kid and some some of which are still very present today. Number one is I was very, very just shy and introverted. And so um, I was not outgoing at all. I spent a lot of time, you know, reading, um, imagining, daydreaming. You know, I was very comfortable always, you know, spending time by myself. I do think I at a younger age that helped me just develop my I don't know, my creativity, my sense of imagination. I've always been comfortable kind of living living in the future and living in my own head in many ways so that's you know on the on the personal side i would say you know as a young young child i did love cooking i loved food Um, i'm one of 10 children so i grew up in a really big family Um, and so food was very much the the glue for us that was how we got together at the end of the day it's how we celebrated holidays it's how we marked milestones and so i've always had a connection to food uh, both as like just the enjoyment of eating, but also um, all the emotional things that come with it. Definitely. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn. So I grew up in downtown Brooklyn, lived there up until I was, you know, 17 and graduated high school. So where does the Creole and Caribbean, I mean, where did that come from? How did you first get exposed to that food? Yeah. So, you know, my mother's from the South. And so kind of, you know, if I had to think about the native cuisine that I ate the most growing up, it was Southern cooking in in all of its various forms. So, you know, even today we have a a Creole red beans and rice, which is um, based on my mother's recipe for for red beans. And so um, that, you know, that's a big part of it. I would say the rest of the palette of the brand, though, it's really inspired by my childhood growing up in Brooklyn. You know, my mother would often um, exchange recipes and dishes with our neighbors. And so it was very common for her to like come back from the laundromat with a little, you know, scrap of paper that had a recipe that she had, you know, jotted down. And so 
Um, you know, if you've been to Brooklyn, it's a very unique kind of black and Latino melting pot. You know, you have people from throughout the U.S. South, from throughout the Caribbean, Latin America. And so a lot of the foods that we make are just kind of pulled together from, you know, the community and, and my neighbors that I grew up with. Jumping forward a bit. So after you left Brooklyn, what did you do after that? Yeah. So, you know, you can fast forward a bit. I went to, um, I did my undergrad and my grad school, both at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and so, you know, between undergrad and business school, worked at a number of different um, startup companies, um, worked abroad for a little while, um, very much kind of, you know, early career, figuring out what you enjoy and what you're good at. Um, and I would say like the first, you know, really big, meaningful job I took was after business school. Um, I started my career at General Mills doing brand management, um, worked on a number of brands from your large national brands like the Gushers, Fruit Roll-Up and Fruit by the Foot, um, all the way through um, your, you know, more emerging national organic brands. You know, I had the pleasure of working on Lara Bar, um, Cascadian Farm, Annie's Organic, which was a very, you know, formative role for me. And so um, that was, you know, the first maybe five years of my, my professional career was spent at General Mills. And how long did you stay there? I stayed there for five years, um, worked through a number of roles, you know, like a basically a rotational system. So, you know, every 12 to 18 months, you you move on to a new business. And um, it ended up being just a really great learning experience. You know, every time you rotate, it's like you're plopped into a new business context. You're working with a different set of people, um, different set of competitors, retailers. And so I feel like I was able to learn a lot in a you know relatively short period of time. So what was it that made you think, okay, I'm going to now leave and go and start a company? Yeah, you know, it was a few things. The first was that I had this just really great experience working on Annie's. So General Mills had acquired Annie's. And, um, How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. I like immediately raised my hand, like, look, I need to work on this business, right? Like, what do I need to do to get out to California? And, you know, after a lot of moving and shaking, I was able to move out to Berkeley. And I spent just under two years working on the Annie's business um, and really just fell in love with the ethos of the natural product industry, right? And this idea that business could be a force for good, that food should be, um, you know, helpful for our bodies, um, and you know, uh, that we should use high quality ingredients, like all the all the like big pillars that underpin the industry. I kind of fell in love with them. And the only dilemma that I kept having was that, you know, as I looked around the options, there weren't any that spoke to me as a consumer, right? In terms of the foods and the flavors that I had grown up with. So it was like. I don't know. I felt like I was living this weird double life where it was like I was all in on like organic agriculture, better for you, you know, health and wellness. And then at night I would go home and eat 
the same types of foods that I had grown up eating because I had just this nostalgic kind of emotional connection to them. And so my goal with the Dozen Cousins was really just to see if I could bring those two worlds together. You know, I wanted to see if I could create a brand that felt really cultural, really authentic, had all those same feelings of home and the flavors that I love, but to do it and leverage everything that I had learned about health and wellness, sourcing, innovation, et cetera. And so um, once I kind of locked in on that idea or that mission, it was, you know, an easy decision to, to take the leap and, and try to do it full time. So what was your first step? I mean, you're leaving a big company. You've got a very cool job working on Annie's and, and you've got these recipes. And, you know, as I always say, it's one thing to work on a product. It's another thing to start a product. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and start a company. I mean, were, were you scared? Did you worry? I mean, what was sort of going through your head? There's definitely some nervousness, right? But I would say, like, honestly, for me, the excitement outweighed the fear by a lot, you know? And and part of it was, you know, my wife and I, we sat down before I left General Mills. We actually just had our first daughter. So my, my eldest daughter was about two months old. And, you know, we just mapped out a plan. We said, look, you know, we could go one year with no, you know, no salary, at that point, you got to be able to make something, right? And then we like, you know, we have two years to prove out the concept and really feel like we're gaining traction. And so like, I just feel like I had this really clear roadmap where I was like, look, I'm going to give this a try. And if in two years I haven't done anything or the market is telling me like, hey, this is actually not a good idea, then, you know, I was going to just kind of pack it up and move on. You know what I mean? And so for me, I was like, look, this is going to be a fun two-year experiment no matter what happens and you know thankfully by the time we got to the end of you know two years and and really before then like we had these really great national customers you know i remember when whole food you know took us in nationally that was like a huge milestone and you know we had a few of those along the way that just you know kept giving me confidence that we were on the right track we were working on the right things and um so yeah i would say there's some some nervousness but certainly none that prevented me from from taking the leap how hard was it when you were launching a product into Whole Foods? So uh, just a little bit of background. People who listen to my show know this. My father had created Healthy Choice and worked inside of Armor Food Company initially, and then they were acquired by ConAgra. And I remember hearing, you know, a long time ago how he basically was negotiating internally for space, for frozen space, right? And in the case with other ConAgra brands, and that was probably the hardest thing was was actually figuring out, you know, how much space he was going to get allocated. But when I actually launched uh, the company, I founded Hint and I said, hey, how do I get into Safeway? He was like, I have no idea. I mean, it was a it was a whole new world. And maybe that maybe you relate to that a little bit. But I, I'm curious, like how much of a puzzle was it for you? Yeah, I think there's there's for sure, I call it like a little bit of a detox that needs to happen, right? Where it's just like you have to unlearn some of the habits of like, you know, when you're when you place a phone call on behalf of a $17 billion company, like you're usually that person's most important phone call of the day, right? So like you're always getting people's energy, attention, priority, prioritization, et cetera, versus, you know, when I left and started a dozen cousins, you know, there were some weeks where it was a win just to get the person to pick up the telephone or just to get, a, you know, a buyer to respond to your email. And so that for me was one of the biggest shifts that I had to make was just psychologically that feeling of like, look, um, th that credibility that you have on behalf of this large billion dollar company is gone. Right. And so now you have to kind of go out and, and earn it yourself. And so 
it was hard, I think, in the early days to deal with just a sheer level of like, I wouldn't even call it rejection as much as it was just ambivalence or indifference, right? Um, and I think once once I got through that, it just became a lot more of a, just a fun journey. And I was able to enjoy like, hey, we heard back from so-and-so today, right? So that, that's what I would say. It was definitely a shift. So once you got it into Whole Foods, that was your first major retailer? It was, yeah. They were first national retailer for sure. Uh, we we had been in some co-ops prior to that, um, like just regionally, but that was our first big customer. And how many different SKUs did you have? We had three SKUs at that time. So we launched with a set of core beans, and I guess I haven't even mentioned what, what our products are yet, but you know, our first product was a line of uh, ready-to-eat beans. So they're all fully cooked and seasoned, made with real vegetables and spices. And the three SKUs that Whole Foods took in was our Cuban black bean, our Mexican pinto bean, and then a Trinidadian chickpea curry. Those are still our, you know, three largest items, you know, today, you quote, three years later. Um, but yeah, that was our first product. And they're so, so delicious. So did you ever feel like, was that the right amount of SKUs? Like, what, what would you say to a founder? I mean, if they're going to launch a, a line, do you think it's three is a good amount? Do you think you should have only had one? Should you have had six? I mean, I'm so curious how you think about that. Yeah, I think it's it's very category dependent, as I'm sure you know, in beverage, I'm, I'm sure there's a different answer. For me, three always felt like the magic number because food is so subjective in terms of the fact, like you might have a flavor that people just don't like, right? Where it's like, hey, the product is on point, the positioning is on point, but I don't eat cilantro or, you know, this is too spicy, right? Like there's always going to be like, just you want to give yourself room for that to happen. And so when I came out with three, the goal in my mind was, look, at least two of these need to stick around and be good items. And, you know, you don't want to have just one strong item on shelf because it's easy to get lost. Many buyers won't even take you in at that point, particularly in like the center of the store. So three was the logic in the sense that two is probably the minimum we really needed on shelf. And the third one was just a buffer just in case, you know, we had a, a bad flavor in there. You've now founded a company and scaled a company. Uh, you started in a terrific time in history, uh, just right before uh, the cuckoo-ness that went on in our life with the pandemic over the last couple of years. Right. You know, what are some of the big things that you've learned that you didn't realize? I mean, again, obviously, you're an incredibly bright person. Um, you know, you've had great experience. But what were like, a couple of things that you're just like, can't believe I, I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, one, which might be, um, I don't know if this is too like esoteric, but like the, the, the up and down, the emotional roller coaster that like entrepreneurs and small business owners are on, it was, a, it was at a level different than what I expected. You know, I dealt with stress working at previous jobs, but I think just the sheer ups and downs that you'll feel in the course of a day, right, where it's like, Here's an event that might end your company. Here's another event that is going to like propel you to the next level of success, right? And like those might be back to back meetings, you know what I mean? And so like I feel like one of the things I've had to get good at over the last couple of years is just like, you know, number one, how do you manage those moods, those mood swings, right? So like, you know, you have an even keel for your team. You're able to think clearly and not be, you know, too reactionary. Uh, but also then how do you separate that from like your home life, right? Because it's like I have two young children. I have a wife. I don't want them going on the same roller coaster that I'm on every day either, right? And so, like, I feel like that area of just, like, compartmentalization, mood control has been probably my biggest learning if I had to point to one. I can only imagine, though, I mean, you're starting something that you have lived with, right, for in many ways from the time 
that you were a child, right? And you're you're bringing it to the rest of the world. I mean, that's an incredible story. It must be an incredible feeling to see, you know, people wanting to buy uh, something that you that made you so happy, happy enough to, you know, want to launch a product around it. What what would you say? Did you ever know what that would feel like? I had a feeling, but it's, it's been better than I expected. And, you know, like the, that and for me, I articulate it in two ways. The first is that I feel like 100% proud of everything we do as a company and everything we present as a company. And I've never, I've never been at that level at any other point in my career, right? There's stuff that I've worked on before that I've felt pretty good about or like, you know, 50 or 60% of this feels good to me. And the other 40% was like a compromise that I had to make with some other people on my team, my boss, whatever the case may be, right? And I think now the feeling where it's like, look, you can pick up any one of our products, tear it open, eat it right in front of me. Like, I'll be proud to see you do that. The marketing that we put out in the world, the, you know, the images we have on Instagram, the copy that we have on our website, that feeling of just feeling like, look, I, I really stand behind and I'm proud of the work we do. Um, there's nothing like it. And, you know, I hope that other founders feel the same way. It's, it's one of the key pieces of advice, honestly, I always give founders is, you know, there's one thing to just chase an opportunity because you think it could be like profitable in the marketplace. But my, my perspective is if you're going to be living and breathing this thing for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, X number of years, you really want to pick something that you can have that level of like pride and connection to. Otherwise, I think the pain of the journey is probably it's like it's not worth it. You know what I mean? It's not worth it to do something that you don't feel that level of pride about. When I started Hint, it was uh, I had four kids under the age of six. And and I always tell people now they're a lot older and, um, you know, what they've learned along the way in the journey. And I absolutely have lived through everything that you're saying, the ups and the downs. One day you have a buyer that says, you guys are awesome. You're wonderful. And then the next day we're discontinuing you and it's not happening. You know, it's just, it really is a roller coaster. But I think that the lessons that your family will learn just through the ups and downs and seeing you do something that you really love and investing time into something that has purpose and meaning is really powerful. I, I also think that I read an article of how, you know, you're definitely creating a voice for the challenges of BIPOC entrepreneurs. And I think I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, first and foremost, just to frame the issue, like, you know, about half of the United States identifies being a person of color, right? Depending on the data source you look at, it's a little bit higher, a little bit lower, right? So it's a very diverse country that we live in, as, as everyone knows. And I think when you think about the CPG industry, it, it's unique, in my opinion, in terms of just how, you know, democratic it is, right? These are products that everyone uses, sometimes multiple times a day, people are feeding themselves and their family, they're taking care of their skin, washing their hair, cleaning their clothes, taking care of their house. These are like very intimate products that people interact with and put in their body. And so to me as an industry, you know, we have a responsibility to be reflective and representative of the people that we serve, right? Both in terms of like who leads these companies, who gets to make decisions around product design, um, who, who promotes those products once they're in market, right? Like to me, it should reflect the users, right? And so um, it's something that from the moment I started a dozen cousins has been important to me, not only just from like the perspective of our brand, right? I want, you know, our business is fighting to represent certain foods and flavors that haven't been on the shelf in natural food stores in particular. Um, but we also have done it on behalf of others. And so, you know, I had a chance to 
um, helped found a nonprofit uh, a few years ago, Project Potluck. Our mission is entirely focused on helping people of color build successful companies and careers in the CPG space. Um, I sit on the board alongside, you know, Arnulfo, who's the CEO of uh, Alter Eco, um, and Asha, who is the CEO of Mason Dixie Foods. Um, and so that's something that we're really focused on. Kathleen Casanova is our executive director, just to complete the, the team that's working on that business. But it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And honestly, it's been something that I've focused on really every everywhere I've gone throughout my life is just making sure that there's opportunities for people who look like me to to do the same things that I'm doing, enjoy some of the same successes that, you know, I've been blessed with. I love it. Well, I love the idea, too, of really going and starting your own thing, because I think more and more people think that there is one path in order to do that, right? That maybe you get out of school and you go start a company. And I always tell people, not necessarily. In fact, you could go and do a totally different career. You didn't have to work in food, but had an idea and you just figure out how to go make that happen. I think that you're a great example of that too, that you've been able to demonstrate that it's not a straight line along the way too. And and being able to be a voice and start a nonprofit and do all of those things that you're doing also is just really, really critical. And it's something that I think is really, really inspiring as well. So yeah, really, really great. So what do you think is the greatest thing about being an entrepreneur for you? What has made you the most proud? You've worked with incredible. You and I were talking about John, who was um, actually not the founder of Annie's, but ran Annie's for many, many years. And obviously, you've you've worked with people that have either been founders at General Mills as well. But now you're it, right? Like, what what do you feel is the <laughs> I mean, and sometimes it's scary, right? Like the buck kind of stops with you. Yeah, you know, if I have to say the two things that I enjoy the most about being an entrepreneur, number one is the ability to only work with and spend time around people that I really respect and enjoy. You know, I think that that is something that stands out to me about my current work life versus roles and jobs that I've had in the past where, you know, sometimes you have to just deal with an a-hole, for lack of a better term. You know what I yeah. mean? Or it's just somebody who's like, look, I'd really rather not be talking to you right now, but I got to do it, right? My job requires it. And now that's just not the case. You know, like our employees, I'm able to spend a lot of time interviewing and getting to know people, being really clear about our values and how we want to operate together as a team, you know, before we even start working together. Once we start working together, I'm able to hold them accountable to that, right? Like, hey, here's what we said we were going to do in situations like this arise, right? Um, and same thing with our partners, our vendors. There's a clear shot clock on anybody who is, you know, again, an a-hole for lack of a better term, but the, the viewers, the listeners will know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, it's only a certain amount of time that we're going to deal with that before we move on and find an alternative. And I would say like, that's, that's the number one thing I enjoy, is like spending time with people you respect. You've gained success, right? You're, as you described yourself, you were quieter, uh, more introverted, and uh, you've done amazing things, including won awards and, and now are scaling a company and get doing the impossible. You get your product into Whole Foods, it's working, all of these things. What do you think makes you successful? Or if you don't like that word, uh, it, it's who you are. Right. And and what do you think it is? Um, obviously, as, well, as you can imagine, I'm like a little hesitant to like praise myself. I appreciate the kind words, of course, you know, um, 
if, if I had to say one attribute that has contributed to my success the most, it is um, a certain relentlessness to how I approach everything, right? Like there's, no, there, uh, you know, there's, it, there's not a lot that, that would make me quit something that I feel like there's, that could be one, right? If it's, if I feel like the task is no longer worth it, right? Or um, there's not a path to success, for sure, there's times you have to kind of, you know, um, cut your losses and move on. But to me, if I can see the, if I can see the crack, I'm willing to put in the work for it. And, and to me, it's just day by day, right? And, um, you know, part of what enables that is what we just talked about is like, if I'm on a journey that I enjoy with people I respect, it's like my energy is limitless to keep, to stay on that journey, right? Um, and so, if I had to point to one thing, I think that would be it. I just kind of keep, keep, keep banging at the, keep banging at the goal. So what keeps you up at night? Oh man, so many things. (laughs) Besides having a two-year-old or almost (laughs) three-year-old, right? Well, now I have a one-year-old, so she definitely keeps us up at night. I had (laughs) had my second daughter last year. She's actually just about to turn one. Um, You know, I would say um, our team, I think I spend a lot of time and energy thinking about our team internally. I think when you're working on a fast-growing business, you know, every two or three months, you have to really take stock of who are the people that you have on the team? Who do you need to add? What changes do you need to make? Is everyone in the right role? Is everyone is everyone excited and happy and energized, right? So if I had to say, like, that's one thing I think a lot about is, like, just how is the culture of the team and, and do we have all the right talent and resources in the right place at the right time? That's one thing I think about a lot. Um, you know, in current environments, supply chain is something I think about a lot as well. You know, fingers crossed, I hope we are emerging from, you know, some of what we've dealt with over the last two years. But you know, there have been three or four mini sagas within the last two years, right? Whether that is like the ports are backed up and, you know, ingredients are delayed or logistics costs are spiking because of a shortage of truckers um, to, you know, now we're dealing with fuel prices and the impact of that. So that's something that has been like very constantly evolving, particularly in these last two years because of, you know, the, the macro environment we're in. So those are probably the two things that keep me up the most at night. Um, but, you know, you're, you're a former, or you know, founder, CEO, you know, there's about like there's a million things I could list out here that, you know, that are kind of constantly flowing through my mind. Yeah, constantly. And I think the beauty of, you know, the founder is is always kind of seeing around the corner and being able to, you know, just go figure it out. Right. Because you have a passion for it and an interest and a curiosity and and most of the time you are able to go figure stuff like that out. So I think that it's, unfortunately, it does keep you up at night at times, trying to figure out those uh, those pieces along the way. So I've, I've definitely been there for sure. Um, so people always think that, you know, people who go start a company or have had successful roles as you have, have it super easy. They just snap their fingers and they've made it work. They're lucky. However you want to view the world, I'd love to hear kind of a a story where maybe you encountered something where you were like, "Okay, it's over now. Uh, we're not we're not doing this company anymore." But you got back up. You said, oh, "We we figured it out." Maybe you didn't think it was actually going to go that way, but then you figured it out another way, and maybe some lessons learned along the way. Yeah, it's a great question. Um... You know, there are two there are two that stand out, so I'll maybe give two brief ones. You know, the first was our first big fundraise. It wasn't the first money that we raised. It was like maybe the first time we went out and raised like a big chunk of outside capital. And, you know, 
we had raised a small amount prior in like just a few weeks, honestly, where it was like, it all came together really easily. There was a lot of excitement. We had even extra, you know, a few people we had to turn away. So, you know, I geared up for this next fundraise thinking like, okay, this is going to be pretty smooth. We'll bang this out in a couple of weeks and kind of get back to it. And, you know, we raised kind of a seed round that ended up taking, I don't know, close to nine months. You know, we raised it on a, as a convertible note. So it was just kind of on a rolling basis. And it was probably encompassed some of just the worst weeks of my like time as the founder and CEO of Dozen Cousins because there's an emotional element to it as well, right? Where it's like, you know, you might be on a phone call with, you know, 10 or 20 people in the course of a week and 19 of them say no. And one of them says maybe, right? And it's like, you know, each person essentially just articulates, hey, here's all the reasons why I think you're going to fail. Right. In the most polite way possible, most respectful way possible. I understand it's part of their job, but it's like, man, to just listen to that for two, three months at a time when the business is already, you know, in such a tenuous position, you're still trying to prove it to yourself, to your customers, to your, you know, to your partners. And so that was definitely a tough time. Never reached a point where I felt like I was going to hang it up, but it definitely was like, man, this is a much harder than I thought. So that that's one. And then the second one I'll say we're actually emerging from maybe right now, you know, this past spring, we had our first employees that, you know, departed the company. And so, you know, we're in such a, um, you know, such a young team and you have, you know, we had a group of like, I want to say five people who, you know, all started at the same time. They were kind of that first cohort of employees. They started, you know, very similar to one another. And so, you know, we had two of those folks leave, um, you know, for great opportunities and, you know, things that they're excited about and, you know, we wish them well, but, it definitely was just a moment to like reevaluate, reassess, okay, are we doing everything we need for the people who are still here, right? Like, are they enjoying and getting, you know, the growth and experience that they want out of the company? And so um, in many ways, I actually think it'll end up being like a net benefit for our business, just in terms of like, I think it's been a reminder to me to, to not neglect human resources, if you will, right? And just really making sure I'm pouring as much into the team as I need to. But for sure, that was a tough, um, you know, tough month when those guys left. So um, those are the two that stand out to me the most. It's tough. I think it's a it's a very prior to founding Hint. I remember I had worked for definitely bigger companies, but they started out smaller and, it, you know, I wasn't the founder. So you have just a different lens into when people leave, you think, okay, they're leaving and they're going and doing whatever. When you're the founder, it's very personal. I mean, you're like, what did I do? You know, yeah, you don't like sure, us, sure. <laughs> you know, were we not managing properly, whatever that was. And so especially those first couple, um, you know, people that leave, I mean, you're, you want to know if your baby's ugly. I mean, what, what is it that, that they're saying to you? And I think it's, yeah, yeah. it's, you have to sort of reframe it for yourself and know that, I mean, it sounds like you have, but it's all good. Right. That it's like they're going to go and do what they need to do. And you need to, too. Yeah, for sure. I think you articulated it well. Right. Like your objective mind kind of knows that people join your company, people leave your company. Everyone's career is like this. You know, it's a journey. Right. That they're on. And it's not sometimes you're just, a, you know, you're just a character on that journey. But, you know, to your other point, I, it is personal. Right. It feels very personal. I think the reality is when you, you, know, you pour so much of yourself into a company, into a business, you know, it's hard not to take it that way. So, um, but in any event, like you said, all, all good lessons and, you know, we're looking forward. Last question. If, when you think about a dozen cousins and sort of, what do you need to do in the next, like, when you get up in the morning and you think, okay, what do I, I know it's a mix of, of kind of 
dealing with the day to day and and trying to put out fires and grow the business and all that. But what do you think you need to do to really get to the place that you want to be? Yeah, it's a great question, man. I think the next, if I had to, if I had to isolate it to a single thing, you know, I would say it's really around like our, our brand building and and more specifically just introducing our product to more people, right? Um, you know, I think for the first few years of our business, we've taken a a very product and distribution first approach. You know, so like my number one focus has been is our product world class, is our packaging clear, is it telling the story of the brand. Um, are we at the right price? Are we available in all the retailers where people want to find us? And, you know, thankfully, I think we've had really good success in those areas, right? Like our product is well rated. It's very well liked by everyone who tries it. Uh, we have a really great network of, um, of retail partners from Target, Walmart, Kroger, Whole Foods, kind of down the list. And I think the next big opportunity for us is to make sure that we are, you know, sufficiently promoting and introducing the product to new people. And so, that's something that I think about a lot in terms of just the next, you know, the next phase of the business. You know, how do we get our brand in front of more people just so that, you know, we're, we're, we're better known and, and more people can share the experience. Super great. Well, Ibrahim, this has been such an amazing interview. You are just like an incredible entrepreneur and just a wealth of experience and lessons that you've shared with us. So where's the best place for people to Try your product and get a hold of some of A Dozen Cousins. Yeah, visit our website, www.adozencousins.com. There's a store locator where you'll be able to find a retailer that's nearby, um, or you can order some products online and, and save yourself a trip to the store, but that's definitely the place to begin. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors. And finally, our listeners, keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug, if you have not read or listened to my book, Undaunted, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.